defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good, what is good, will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. So, Father, we ask that you would come now and be our teacher. We pray that in these few moments you would give us ears to hear and encourage our hearts. Oh, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you go get rid of those? Give them to the old people that you find around the church. Would you go get rid of those? Pass those out. Give them to the old people that you find. You can define old however you want to. Okay. So uh, we have elder candidates in this church, and uh, I would love, while I'm talking and you may be listening, if you uh, think of something that threatens your joy, I'd love for you to write that down. So a little card will be coming to you, and if while you're thinking about these things, I'd love for you to write down on the card the single greatest threat to your joy. What if you lost it would cause you the most pain? And at the end of the day, what we'd love to do, if you have your name on it, is give them to the elders of this church. They pray for you regularly. We'll divide them up by whichever elder is assigned to you. And throughout this year, as they pray for you, they can have in front of them a reminder of the greatest threat to joy in your life. Joy overwhelms pain and sorrow. Joy is a hope that overwhelms the threat of suffering. It's a hope based on a certain experience. In other words, you can't read a book and get to joy. Joy comes as God weaves the tapestry of your life together and he gives you things in your heart that, that connect with you. Andrew Peterson sings a song that we used at the beginning of our uh, nativity pageant. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Behold the Lamb of God, the light and life of men. 
Behold the Lamb of God who died and rose again. Behold the Lamb of God, Son of God, the Son of Man. When the angels come to proclaim Christ's birth, they say to the shepherds, this is good tidings of great joy. Capis, when Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a field, and in that field is a great treasure. And he sneaks away before anyone can find out about that treasure. And he goes and he sells all that he has to buy that field. You understand? The centerpiece of joy happens in the life of a Christian when you are united to Christ and everything you ever wanted in your life is all of a sudden changed. Nothing else matters except this personal experience of your new relationship with Christ. If you are not joyful, if you are not presently experiencing an overwhelming sense of gratitude in Christ, it's because you've forgotten Jesus, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. You understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? When a person meets Christ, everything in his life that might create agony, fear, or condemnation is overwhelmingly pushed away because of the real presence of Christ himself. You understand common grace? Common grace is the idea that when God created man, he left his thumbprint on his heart. So even people who don't know God say things and do things all the time that reflect him. So non-Christians in art and literature often do things that reflect Christ. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, when I got out of bed, my wife said, no bad words, no bad stories, no singing. And if we did that, it'd be like a five-minute sermon. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't think, this is so bad, I don't even think, it, every night I lie in bed. I can't even sing it. Ah, uh, just read it. <clears throat> the Greatest Showman, you got to go see that movie. Right? The theme song is, every night I lie in bed and, and brilliant colors in my head. And I can't go to sleep for a million dreams are running through my mind. You understand? That non-Christian who writes that clearly about what it means to have a dream is touching a wisp of what it means to belong to Jesus Christ. The person who belongs to Christ ought to say, you know when I lay my head down at night, my head is just full of a million colors. And I can't even sleep because of all the dreams of what God has put inside of me. So the biggest purpose of our life, a friend of mine who does marriage counseling starts by drawing a circle on the flip chart board and, and he puts God in the middle of that circle and then he begins to ask, now what is God like? 
Well, He's power and He's love and He's strength and He's mercy and He's kindness and He's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And you begin to outline all the attributes and things that you know about God and you put them in that circle and then He finally says, you know, the real point of life is to get as close into that circle as you possibly can. Everything good you've ever known in this world, every breath you've ever taken that has brought you reward, it all belongs to Him. And everything that's sweet in this life is a part of knowing God. Salvation itself in the New Testament is called the knowledge of God. Joy itself comes to the person who most deeply knows Him. So, Joy is the hope of a brighter future that's built on a certain experience, tapestry of your life that God has woven together. The opposite of hope, if you're writing this down, joy is a certain hope in the future that's built on a present experience. And the opposite of joy is hopelessness. Now, some of you are a little too old. You didn't get the old VCRs. You got everything on your phone nowadays, right? But in the old days, we got to watch the videotapes. You remember Pinocchio? And uh, Pinocchio was that character. He was wooden. And I, I can't remember. There's some scene. You remember they get, they're swimming underwater. He's lost his father, Geppetto. And, and he calls to him, Father! Father! You remember that? <clears throat> and he has the little dude. What's the little dude? Huh? Jiminy Cricket, excellent. And what does Jiminy Cricket say? This part I can do. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. Right? Absolute, unadulterated garbage. that we spoon-feed to our children. Real joy is a confident hope that the Lord is on the move and He's doing something and I'm a part of that plan. And if you kill me today, it doesn't cease to make His joy real. And the opposite of joy is hopelessness. But the counterfeit of joy is this idea that somehow our circumstances will give us everything we want. That somehow, if you just make a wish on a star, things will turn out great for you. Counterfeit joy tells you you can be happy all the time. And American religion tells you that God himself was created to kneel to your beckon need. That's just not real joy. I want to remind you, you got that little card. I'd love for you to think about what represents the most significant threat to joy in your life. You lost your job. You lost your marriage. You lost a child. What is it? 
that you must have in your life in order to be joyful in addition to Jesus. Because I'm offering that anything you have to have in your life in order to be happy beyond Jesus is actually your functional Savior. And this is too hard a topic for me to talk to you about. Hence, I just want to invite you to think about it. So, um, thank you for listening. Um, let's come to the text and try to be a little expositional and just walk through the passage slowly. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. So right off the bat, you have a setting whereby Jesus himself, uh, his joy is being threatened. And in his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. And so what I want you to hear again in our little T-R-E-N-T outline is that true joy lasts. The fundamental defense that Jesus makes when they bring this accusation to him is first of all to say, don't you understand, yes, it's the Sabbath, but don't you understand my father is working. The tense of this verb is that my father currently works and my father will go on working. And then he says, and I too am working. The beautiful story that Hutch told you about John Coltrane. Some of you weren't here. John Coltrane was a saxophonist. He came to Christ. He began to pray that the Lord would use his talent and he would make people happy. And then he began to pray that the Lord would use his talent and, and he would simply enjoy praying before the Lord. And he began to pray again that the Lord would simply be pleased. Hutch told this story in the light of Simeon, right? Simeon was in the temple when they brought the child Jesus to be baptized. He was devout. He was there praying. The Lord had told him that he would, see, he would not die until he saw the consolation of Israel. When Mary walked in, you remember Luke, the gospel writer, was not an eyewitness. Luke tells us that he interviewed people. When most commentator writers read the book of Luke, they very clearly hear the stories of Mary Jesus' mother in Luke's story. You understand what I'm saying? Luke went to Mary and said, tell me what it was like. And Mary told him this story. When we brought the boy Jesus to the temple, Simeon was there. He was devout and righteous. And the Lord had told him that he would not die until he saw the consolation of Israel. You understand? And so Simeon sees the Messiah Jesus come in with Mary and Joseph. He takes the baby in his arms and he holds him up. And he says, Nunc Dimittis. In Latin. It literally means. I'm done now. I've seen the Christ. You can take me home. So what I would begin to ask you. Do you have yet in your life. A certainty of calling. Do you have yet in, in your life the sense that God himself is on a mission to do something and he's gifted and called you to do something? Jesus says, don't you know my heavenly father is working and don't you know I work too? So what I'm asking you is, you want to build your life around joy. One of the things the certainties that you have to come to 
is the idea that in being united to Christ, he brought you to himself, he gifted and placed you in just the home, he wove the tapestry of your life together, so you have a particular talent to contribute to the work of him. You understand? Understanding real joy is knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt, as long as my heavenly father is working, if you find me, you'll find me doing this. The statement of Simeon Dominus, the statement of John Coltrane, John Coltrane played Love Supreme. It's a 32-minute jazz song that he wrote. He played it one night in such an unbelievable way that when he got done, he put his horn down and he was heard to say as he walked off the stage, Nunc Dominus, quoting Simeon, right? The Lord has now given me the freedom to do exactly what he made me to do. I preached this story at another time in my life, and at 3 o'clock in the morning, I didn't have it. I knew I was going to talk to people about joy, but I didn't have my own answer. You don't get to come up here and talk without wrestling through it yourself. And so me and the Lord went at it, and I was after him. What is it in my life that I would say, boom, that's it. Take me out, I'm done. Right? And at 3.30 I knew it was Jennifer, our adopted little girl. She was abused before she came into our home. Her truster is broken on the inside. Her life's been a wreck from that time to this. Probably on the last day of her life, when she breathes in this world, she'll still be recovering from the pain that was inflicted on her. And I could say, okay, Lord, I got it. When Jennifer comes to you, I'll go home. Jennifer's at church today. We didn't want to leave Ocala, but when we left Ocala, after we got up here about two months later, she called and said, Mom, we're coming to Chattanooga. This redneck idiot preacher, Baptist dude, right, comes by their house. He's how old, Mary? How old is he? 56, 62? Yeah, okay, he's not redneck. He's wonderful. He's kind, whatever. <clears throat> he's the last person in the world, I would think, that these kids would find attractive, right? He's just an old preacher dude. But he shows up and knocks on the door. And of all things, Jennifer's husband has become enthralled. They go to this church where they pick these hymns, and sometimes the music player works, and sometimes they have to sing a cappella. It's horrible, right? In the measurement of human experience. And God seems to be working in their life. Do I care? Heck no, I do not care. The Lord is calling them. Man, if Jennifer comes to Jesus, dude, I'm out. I'm good. So I simply would ask you, um, do you have any real sense of how you would respond if you were being persecuted and you wanted to say to the person who was persecuting you, don't you understand, whether I live or die today, the Lord is at work. And wherever you find me, I'll be at work following him. Now, we've got to pick up the pace, and y'all can read the Bible, so I'm going to move quickly, right? You'll, you'll keep following. <clears throat> G 
Jesus gave them this answer. Verily, truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Watch this, if you will. Verse 20. Uh, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. So the first point is true joy lasts. And the second point is real joy fits. And what I mean by that is Dustin's joy can't be Sarah's joy. And Sarah's joy is not Wade's joy. Joy itself has to fit the tapestry of who the Lord made you to be. And what Jesus is saying is, don't you understand, the Father loves me. Not just generically loves, the Father loves me. And so what I mean to tell you in the second point is, real joy doesn't merely last, go on forever and have purpose, but it fits. When you really get a hold of joy, it's your own personal joy that comes to you by your heavenly Father. When Jesus says, don't you know the Father loves me, he really means me. Real joy lasts when you understand that the Father loves you for whom he made you to be. Verse 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but is crossed over from death to life. So in our Trent analogy, uh, true joy lasts and real joy fits. And the honest truth is, eternity is the only measurement of joy that works, right? So like, if you have cotton candy, it's really great for about 7.5 seconds. Um, And Charlotte's husband, Ben, really wanted to go to Crystal. So as a good father-in-law, I sacrificed myself and we went to Crystal. And we got a whole bunch of Crystal burgers. We did not even make it out of Crystal before Ben says, Oh, I don't feel so good. Right? Joy can't be measured by momentary circumstantial stuff. The only measurement of joy really is eternal. This world is not our home. We've got an entire eternity with him. Joy hangs on the certainty of the Son who says, I'll bring you to eternal life and it'll last forever. very truly I tell you a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of God and those who hear him will live for as the father has life in himself so he has granted the son also to have life in himself and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son do not be judged at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out that's part of the eternal sense of, uh, on which our joy hangs. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Let's say that again. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will be condemned. 
in our present Christian evangelical expression of Christianity, we talk a lot about grace as if being a Christian means you can do whatever you want. But the truth is, nobody can bring you someone else's joy. Every single person, what is it my grandfather used to say? Every tub sits on its own bottom. Every tub sits on its own bottom. And what it really means is you could fill your life with counterfeit joy and have sort of momentary uh, peak of the mountain experiences that you, it get you from one place to another. You find the perfect man and he actually asks you out and he's reasonably decent and he marries you and he gives you children and all these peaks move along and you can run your life skipping across the peak and never really have that certainty. But one day there comes a judgment and the reality of what your life has been built on all washes away. Nobody can measure joy in somebody else's life. Only you know exactly the sincerity and authenticity of the joy that you're living. One day there comes a judgment. Those people who have lived for good will be raised to life. And those who have not will be raised to judgment. The beautiful woman who writes uh, music, uh, she asked the Holy Spirit to give her songs. She sat down to write a song. She thought she was writing about this topic, but our president had recently spoken. And when she picked up her guitar, the song came out of her mouth, reflecting on what it means to be a little tiny child in Haiti and to have the most powerful in the man in the world call your country a whole. What it means to grow up in Africa starving and to have the most powerful man in the world call the country where you were born a whole. And in her brokenheartedness, she wrote a song this week that starts out like this. How did we get so heartless? When did we become so cruel? Lifting up evil by scapegoating the poor. So many wolves are in sheep's clothing with a Bible in their hand. Brokenheartedly, I've been leaving the lie that it's truth on which we stand. Right? What she's trying to say is there is an American way and it has all kinds of rules. And I'm stealing her song to ask you to wake up because real joy doesn't just float along in the current system of our world. The chorus of her song says, You said, blessed are the poor. You said, blessed are the meek. But today I'm finding hard to believe how that could ever be. When the merciful are burdened and the mourners are ridiculed and the bystanders stand by and play along with all the rules. You live in a country where the king of your country mocks the poor. And whether you like his politics or whether he's helped your economy or not, you cannot abide a leader that rejects the work of Christ. Real joy in the Bible 
is always attached to caring for the poor. I'm not saying you can't be American. I'm saying you can't let your joy be framed in this political climate. For peace, you've got to work hard to find your own joy. You've got to dig at it. You've got to scrape. You've got to find out what it is that God made you to be. Because true joy lasts and real joy fits. And eternity is the only measurement of joy. And nobody can find joy for somebody else. The real truth is, trust is the foundation of joy. So Jesus says, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. You hear what Jesus is saying? Everything in my life hangs on him. I heard it in prayers, right? Lord, I love you. E even when, I'm, when I don't live that out. True joy lasts. Real joy fits. And eternity is the only measurement of whether joy really works. And nobody can find joy for another person. The truth is, the foundation of all joy is your capacity to trust your Heavenly Father. Won't you pray with me? So, Father, we come to you today and we confess I would be the first that uh, the circumstances of my life are not necessarily what I would have chosen. I have received them and I've made those decisions because I believe you'd led me to them. And I know there are people in this room that are living in circumstances that are not what they would choose. Life came to them in a different fashion than they would have accepted or expected. I know, O oh Lord, that there are good people in this room today that desire to walk faithfully with you. And they're confused by the circumstances of their life. And so what we want to ask you at the close of the service is that you, by your Holy Spirit, would do something that we can't do from the outside. That you would come alongside us, your sons and your daughters, and you would whisper in our ears, Dear child, this is what I made you for. This struggle that you're enduring, it's exactly what I wanted to bring to you. Father, we bless you for the folks in this body that have agreed to consider serving as elders and leaders for us. We pray, even as folks might have the courage to write out on their card, the biggest threat to joy in my life is this thing, that they would give those things to these people that have been called to shepherd them, that we might, in prayer together, reach out to you and call to you and say to you, Lord, this threatens my joy. This makes me afraid. This causes me to shrink back. We bless you, O Lord, because you have not called us to be as those who shrink back, but you have given us the promised Holy Spirit. We pray that during this week, you would come close to us and whisper to our ear and say to us, Dear child, this is what I made you for. 
We pray these things, O Lord, because you have been good and kind to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sing us out of here. Yes, sir. Uh, that's a great question. Um, how about over here, if you have one of those cars and you'd like to leave one, 